Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. This week, what a week, huh? If you uh, are, are following anything about what's going on at all, uh, you, you might realize, I don't know if you know this, but there's an election in like four weeks. And uh, so I don't know if you know, but the pressure is turned up and, and you know, chaos is starting to, to, people are fomenting and people's jobs are on the line and uh, all kinds of crazy has been happening. But uh, 2020 seems to be the year that never ends. It's the year that you're never going to want to tell uh, anyone about. It's going to be the year you say, hey, we don't even talk about, we don't even speak of that year because uh, uh, so much crazy has already happened. Uh, if you don't know, the President of the United States uh, has COVID, and uh, so he's in Walter Reed, and we certainly want to be in prayer for him. But not just him, uh, nearly a dozen of the people around him, including two people on the Judiciary Committee that are voting for the new SCOTUS because we had a SCOTUS pass away. Like 2020 is bringing it, right? And so every time we turn around, something crazier and crazier and crazier uh, is happening. On top of all of that, you got the job loss. On top of all of that, you got people that uh, can't fill their restaurants to full capacity. And, and uh, the, the sickness itself has, has hit so many families and destroyed them and, and, and really um, taken away loved ones. And so 2020 has just been an ugly, ugly, ugly space. It's been an ugly, ugly year. And it, uh, I, I got news for you. Uh, this close to an election, there is going to be more. And uh, so I thought for these next four weeks, how, how best to prepare, how best to go to the Word as we approach uh, also an election and um, I really got to thinking, like, what is, what is happening here? And, and as I prayed over what this series would be, um, I really thought, you know, what it is, what the real problem in all this is, is not uh, this party, that party, this group, that group, this position, that position. Th- those are going to always be disagreements we have. Uh, the real challenge is that we have a tendency to set up American idols, American idols, and the idols that we set up, they're not necessarily Kelly Clarkson or, or whoever your, your favorite that won. The American idols that we set up are the donkey and the elephant, or they're positions that we take. There are feelings that we have. And, and I got news for you, the, the politicians aren't dumb, the me- media companies aren't dumb, the uh, internet groups aren't dumb. They play on our own idolatry. Because of the things that we set up as having to be supreme in our lives, society looks and says, how can I manipulate you to do what I want? Well, what I'll do is I'll attach myself or my product or my person or my policy or my party to whatever your idolatry is. And if I can get the tentacles into that idolatry, then I can pull you wherever you want. You'll vote for me. You'll give me your money. Uh, you'll, you'll shop at my store, you'll get on our online product, you'll do things I want you to do because I've attached myself to being the solution to your idol. And we look and we say, man, we, we don't deal with idols. When we read the Bible, we see idol after idol after idol. But I've got news for you. We, we in this day and age, in this particular cultural context, in Western Christianity, we battle idolatry more than, than practically any other country, any other people, any other civilization in the world. Being the wealthiest, our, our poorest people are among the more wealthy of the globe. 
And so being with an, an, living in an area, living in a country where everybody is doing so well, comparatively speaking, to the rest of the world, it starts to develop idols around you. It starts to develop a sense of what is my purpose and purpose not being let me rely on God and do what God's designed me to do and be that. My purpose starts to get manipulated by the people around me and what they say is important and where should I be by this age and who should I be with and should I be in a relationship, should I not? And all of these pressures start to become idols because we set them up as our, our, our gods and we start to say, gee, how am I doing to my God? Am I bowing down to the God of progress? Am I bowing down to the God of finances? Am I bowing down to the God of, and you fill in your blank. You say, well, pastor, how in the world do I know if I even have any of those idols? At, at, at the moment of our life, when something, some cause, some purpose, some passion takes the place of worshiping Jesus, in that moment, we've created an idol. An idol is anything or anyone that sets on the throne that's reserved for Jesus. It's putting anything, any idea, any cultural context, any party, any of that stuff. The moment that we begin to care more about that, any person, maybe you have a person you really, 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 really love, and they get sick, and your whole world collapses. It's like, wow, maybe I haven't been building my life on Jesus and his promises. Maybe I haven't been building my life on the Lord and his word. Maybe I've been building my life on that person still with me. But if they leave me, then I'm crushed. We've created an idol. And so what I want to do over the next four weeks is to look at some common idols that I believe that are going to help all of us be able to get through this time in these next couple of weeks. To be able to say, ah, I see what that person's doing. They're trying to play on my desire for. They're they're trying to play on my idolatry. So today I want to talk to you about those things. If you're jotting notes, you might want to write this down. If we're not careful, prayerful, and thoughtful, we will find ourselves worshiping American idols. If we're not prayerful, careful, and thoughtful, we will find ourselves worshiping American idols. You see, the the truth is, the donkey and the elephant, they both need to repent. The donkey and the elephant both need to repent. Uh, We're blessed to have a diverse group that attend our church. Uh, We're blessed to to be in many places and have partnerships with lots of people that have lots of different views. And, And I'm okay with that because at the end of the day, neither party, no party, is perfectly aligning with what Jesus has called us to do. And on, in some moments, this party, you can look at and say, why are you so into that? That's not Jesus. And you could turn over here to your friends on the other side and say, why are you so into that? That's not Jesus. And at the end of the day, you need to decide the party that I'm most committed to, the most loyal to, the one that's going to have my heart. My heart's affection is going to be King Jesus. And at times, for the Christian, you're, never, you're not going to, if you're a Christian that's living out the principles of God's word, you are going to find yourselves at odds with everyone who is not. Let me say that again. If you're a Christian who's living out the principles of God's word, you will at some time find yourself at odds with those who are not. It doesn't make them your enemy. It simply means that right now I'm, I'm trying to worship Jesus and you want me to worship this cause or that cause. You want me to hate that person. You want me to, to, to wish for their death. You want me to laugh at their misfortune. We had in this country 
a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, we had a champion of liberal values pass away. And you could get online and you could say, what are people thinking? What are people saying? And then we had the president, who represents the other party, get ill with a virus that we've all been concerned about. What are people saying? What are people thinking? And in both cases, you had people that they were crushed. Our, our hero is gone. What is this going to mean? But then you also had, in both cases, evil, vile people that were glad, that were celebrating. And we, as Christians, need to be the people that are seen in our country at this time, in this moment, as saying, I don't wish ill on either of you. I don't want anything bad on you. I want Jesus for you. I, I want the Lord to do a great work in you. And I, I want you to be drawn and compelled by his love. And that's what I want. And so as we dive in, today I want to talk to you about an idol that we all deal with. Not just in, and, and by the way, this strays completely from politics here because I don't want to, it's not about politics. It's about what is the idol in me that a particular party may be trying to use over the next month to pull me in a direction or that my friends might be arguing and fussing about in the break room. How about I just realize I'm not worshiping those idols. I'm not worshiping this stuff. I'm worshiping King Jesus at a more focused rate over the next month. Because I want to make sure that at the end of the day, my, my, I am not voting for Jesus. I'm doing my, my, my civic duty and I'm voting and to, to uh, do what I believe would enhance and help my neighbors. But beyond that, I'm back to worshiping Jesus. And so as a result, I've got to continue to worship Jesus from now to, through, and after that election. And guess what? I live in a country where about half my life, probably, I'm going to end up um, under a leadership that I may not fully agree with. And if you're a Christian, 100% of your life, you're going to live under a leadership that you don't fully agree with. <laughs> and so as a result, we have to have, uh, get a hold of what is the idol? Am I worshiping it? And if I am, let me step back. Let me worship Jesus. And when I worship Jesus, I'll be just fine with whatever comes my way. So today I want to talk to you. I want to talk to us about the idol of safety and security. The idol that we have made out of safety and security. You see, being safe is not bad. I have a lock on my door. We, we have a video, uh, we have an alarm system. We have video of our, of our, of our home. Um, safety and security in and of itself isn't bad. The problem is that when we make a good thing a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. When we make a, a good thing a God thing, that's when it becomes a bad thing. And so we've got to look and just say, am I making an idol? Are, are politicians, are other people trying to use this desire I have? Or forget all politics altogether. How about when, why do I, why do I break down so much? Why am I so crushed at the weight of the world when I realize that sin has entered the picture, sickness has entered the picture, death and disease have entered the picture? It's just like you're, you're in a, a, a chat, you know, and it's like Tali has joined the room. It's like we're going about our lives, and it's like uh, sorrow has entered the room. <laughs> you know, and we just break down. We lose it because we're just like, I wanted a life without it. 
I don't want sorrow to be in my room. I, I, don't, I, I want safety. I want security. I want peace. I want to be left alone. And, and what do I do when sorrow enters the room? On the right, we hear this all the time through things like the, the border wall. Protect your Second Amendment. Defend the police. These are, th- these are safety and security themes. And they're just like, hey, you better be careful. Because if we don't have that wall, then, then these groups are going to come and they're going to hurt you and your family. And, and so therefore, we've got to get that wall. Yeah, I've got to get that wall. And then we say, well, you better be careful. They take away your, your rights to a gun. You'll never be able to live. Forget the fact that there's you know, a lot of countries in the world that have different laws and people are living every day. But forget all that. You're going to die. You're going to die, basically. If a law is passed, you're going to die. And then the third would be, hey, you know, you better be careful. Better be careful. If, if we reroute any of this, if we change any budgets, that's the end of your, you're going to die. Safety and security. It's not that the positions themselves, as you think them through and talk them through, are bad to have a discussion about. It's whether or not I worship safety and security over the fact that there is a king named Jesus. And that he said that he knows every hair on my head. He knows every number of my days. And you know what that means? That means that there's not a chance that I'm going to die before Jesus says it's okay. But if I don't have that theology, and I have this theology like, hey, depending on who I vote for is going to extend or, or take away hours of my days and time of my life. Guess what you're saying theologically? You're saying God doesn't have control over my life. You're, you're saying that, that, that God in his sovereignty, in his sovereign hand, in his power, and his might, he's not strong enough to be able to preserve me. So I've got to do something. And that's the danger. But from the left, it's the same way, right? What have we heard? What kind of marketing has there been all over TV for the last six months? Stay home, stay safe. Stay home, stay safe. In the meanwhile, suicide rates are going up. Drug use is going up. Alcohol use is going up. Because people are isolated, they're alone, they don't have their friends. Counselors aren't able to meet with the regular appointments. Stay home, stay safe. You can control this. The President of the United States, whatever you think of larger groups, the people around him have worked so hard to make sure that he never ever gets sick. But he's the President of the United States, he got sick. And and you you might not like him, but guess what? Three of the world's G7 leaders have also gotten sick. And none of those countries said, you know what I think would be good? I think it would be good if we just let one of our nation's leader go ahead and die from coronavirus. Like nobody. They've been trying to protect their leaders just as much as we want to protect ours. So what's the story? The story at the end of the day is, look, you can do all you want. You have less control over your life than you'd like to believe. And at the end of the day, at some point, faith has to come in. And at the end of the day, at some point, you start to walk with God. Now, it doesn't mean to be stupid and cough on people or don't, don't do common sense. But what it means is we say, am I making an idol out of this? Do I believe that God will preserve me or not? Stay home, stay safe. Uh, Proud Boys, who most people never heard of until a week ago. But it's like, hey, be careful. Be, be afraid of that group. Or on the right, Antifa. Be, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. The left, repeal the Second Amendment. Let's get rid of it. You know why? Because kids are getting shot up in schools. And if we get rid of guns, then all of this will be safe. See, just playing on us. Safety, safety, safety. And then, of course, defund the police. And the argument is, hey, well, people are getting hurt because we're not doing it right. So therefore, we've got to change how we're doing it. Safety, security. Why am I taking you here? 
Why am I taking all this time to, to just drive home that point? I want you to understand we can make idols out of good things. And when we turn them into idols, we can be manipulated and pulled and used for lots of bad things. And at the end of the day, Jesus has not called us to have an idol. Jesus has not called us to set anything or anyone up above him. What he's called us to do is to be competent citizens who love our neighbor and do responsible things for our neighbor, which means, yes, you lock a door. Yes, you, you, you um, wear a mask so that you don't get someone sick. You do the basic things that are common to being a good citizen and being a good neighbor. But you don't make an idol believing that you're going to be able to control everything because you can't. Most of us don't even understand how our bodies function completely. That's why there's levels to this game. That's why there, when, when the president's team came out the other day, they had about 15 doctors behind them. Why not one? Because one human's not going to know and understand every single thing. They're not going to see every possibility. So a large team helps. And if they have all that wisdom about the safety of the human body, who are we to think, oh, I can do it? No, you can't. At the end of the day, we're relying on each other. We're relying on community. We're relying on God. And we're trying to do the best we can. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to worship the idol of safety and security. So with all that being said, let's look at what Jesus had to say. Jesus, setting this up in John 16, Jesus was finishing up his earthly ministry. Jesus is about to leave his disciples and as he's approaching this leaving, he knows that they're going to be afraid. My leader is gone. And he knows that this is going to bring sorrow into their lives. And so Jesus, being a loving leader, being a loving teacher, being a loving father, he comes and he says, listen, I want to set you up for success because sorrow is about to come your way. But I want to tell you how to walk through sorrow. I want to teach you how to walk through this so that when I'm gone, you have the proper reaction. You, you don't lose it completely because I'm gone. And so he comes in in John 16, starting in verse 20. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. But remember, uh, parenthetical reference, this is after John 15 where he said, hey, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You could, apart from me, you could do nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing. And so he's saying there is an important connection here, but I'm about to leave you in earthly form and you're going you're gonna to weep, you're going to lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. We say, how in the world is that? When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because the hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has brought into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So Jesus is setting up. He's like, guys, I'm, I'm about to leave. This is about to all land the way it is. The thing that you've gotten used to, the, the idea of being with me, it's that that he's concerned with them about. He's not telling them, hey, don't love me. He's not telling them, hey, you know, don't, don't be sad. He's like, you will be sad. There will be sorrow. And, and the sorrow is going to be because you do love me. But the problem is, how do you walk through? How do I walk through my sorrow? Do I live my life saying, I need safety and security. I don't want any sorrow ever. I don't want to ever feel bad. I don't want to ever feel sad. And guess what? Can I tell you something, church, while I'm on this point? 
This message right here is exactly what most Christian churches, modern day Western America, are teaching. This exact same thing. Like, hey, there's a way for you not to ever have sorrow. There's a way for you to not ever have pain. There's a way you'll never experience sadness. And if you have enough faith, you'll never get sick. And if you have enough faith, you'll never cry. And there's so many people that are just showing up in droves to churches that'll teach this. And week after week after week, they're just like, hey, if you do this and put a smile on your face, do this, put a smile on your face, and you'll be fine. And all it is is it's teaching people, hey, live off of cotton candy, live off of sugar. Don't, don't, we don't have nothing for you when there's sorrow and sickness. All we have is to say, hey, maybe you didn't believe enough. Believe some more. And the reality is Jesus did, never taught that. Jesus said you're going to go through sorrow. And if somebody who loves you understands that you're going to have to walk through a difficult day, but they're going to push you. Think about the best doctors, the best nurses. They tell it to you straight, and they're like, hey, this is going to stink for like three weeks. But I need you to go through this procedure. I need you to show up to physical therapy. But physical therapy hurts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's going to hurt a lot more if you don't do it. Right? Like, have you ever had that message given to somebody from someone that's just like, look, I love you and believe in you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. It's going to hurt for three weeks but you just have to get through it. I want a message that's not about, hey, Tolly, here's a way you could avoid every possible pain in your life. I don't want that message. Because what does that do when I experience pain? I want a message that says, hey, teach me how to live in the midst of my pain. Teach me how to live in the midst of my sorrow. Teach me when, when, when things are not going the way that I want. Do I revert back to when I was about 18 months old? You know, do I just lose it? Or do I say, you know what? No, I understand. Sorrow's going to come. Pain's going to come. Sadness are going to come. I'm going to jump into what I've learned and stored up in the scriptures. I'm going to jump into the joy of Jesus. I'm going to jump into faith. And I'm going to walk through this in a real serious, compelling way. So if you're jotting notes, write this down. Jesus' uh, disciples are promised both sorrow and joy in this world. Jesus is promising his disciples both sorrow and joy. When we have an idol of safety and security, we make decisions. We build life plans. We build life maps. We, we pick schools. We pick living locations. We pick friends. We do all of this based on how safe will I be. And when we've made an idol out of safety, we run away from the rest of the world that's sitting back saying, we need your Jesus. There's this thing in missions called the 1040 window. It's a place in the world where the gospel has almost no penetration at all. And so when you you see people saying, hey, let's fly and let's do missions, let's do missions, and then they go to places that already have the gospel and have had the gospel for 100 and 200 years, and they've got their own missionaries and their own churches, and and we just go and jump in on top of that, then then we're not really making a dent because why? We want to be safe. I can't go there. We We can't possibly send anybody where where the gospel is not present. We can't do that. Why? Well, it's not safe. But then there's missions agencies that you and I don't even uh, know about on the day-to-day. And what they, they have entire secure conference rooms to be able to talk to their people in the field because if anybody found out that they were a Christian, they'd be killed. But they're there setting up a business or they're, they're there helping in a humanitarian way to get the gospel seeds planted. If we make decisions on safety and security will actually prohibit the gospel from going further. The places and people that need the gospel of Jesus, the love of Jesus, they're not always safe. They're not always secure. 
the reality that we have to understand is that there will be sorrow in this world. But we also need to couple that with the truth that this earth is not our home. We're just passing through. Do we theologically understand this stuff? Do we believe it in our bones? Or is it stuff that's just written in books? We're just passing through. There will be sorrow. As I was doing research on this, I was like, man, the, the old hymns used to get it right. The, the hymns used to get it right. The hymns used to tell us about sorrow. I, I, found, I found this hymn that I, I actually didn't grow up with or anything, but I was reading through and studying different, looking at different hymns. And I was like, man, this hymn, if it doesn't nail it, this is like something I would have wrote. It's by Annie Johnson Flint called What God Hath Promised. Listen to the words. God hath not promised skies always blue. Flowers strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way. Grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. God has not promised that we should know, not know toil and temptation, trouble and woe. He has not told us that we should not bear many a burden or many a care. God has not promised smooth roads and wide, swift, easy travel, needing no guide. Never a mountain rocky and steep, never a river turbid and deep. I'm like, man, do we need that in our lives today? Do we need to be reminded that sometimes we're setting up the idol of safety and security? Because we believe that when turbulence come, we believe that when things get hard and the, the, the face of the mountain we're climbing gets rocky, we believe, and we've been taught in bad theology, that that means maybe God's not with you. You ever hear the expression or people say, well, man, why, why'd you stop doing that? Well, it's, you know, I just felt like it was a closed door. Really? Paul was shipwrecked. Every disciple was, was killed because they were a disciple of Jesus. Like if Christianity depended on that kind of mindset, like, well, there's a closed door. Really? Every single door had to be wide open. Like you had to have the green lights from here to work. You know those days when you get them? Come on now, you know what I'm talking about. You get like three lights in and you're feeling like, like a king or a queen. And you start to get cocky, right? Like on light number four, you're just like, Whoo. like you, you start making motions, like the lights will change for me. And then if you happen to have that day where you could get most of the way or all the way to work, you just, you're just like, man, it's my day. But that's how we often think. I think it's the fact that we're laughing at it, we understand how silly that is. But that's exactly how we live theologically. We can wake up, read something on Facebook, and be done for three hours. We, we can go to get breakfast and an unkind word is spoken or the, you know, not the right amount of creamer was set out and we're just like, oh, this isn't going to be my day. <laughs> the weather changes. We're headed in the fall. Some of you ladies, the weather's changing now. You can't do your hair the same way. I'm having a bad hair day. Like, right? Sorrow. Horrible things. And because of this, because life wasn't easy, because life wasn't exactly fair, because things didn't work out the way you want, you, you're destroyed. 
Why? Because you, you, you decided that safety and security, a life without sorrow, was what you were after. But Jesus said, you know what? You're going to have sorrow. And he's talking to his disciples here. These are lessons we can learn from that discussion. He's talking to the disciples. He goes, you're going to have sorrow. I want you to know. Me leaving you, this going down, you feeling sad, that's not an impetus for you to give up your faith. That's not an impetus for you to break down and walk away from everything I've been teaching you for three years. It reminded me of Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship. He said, you know, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. In it is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. In our life, if this life doesn't bruise you a little bit, scrape you a little bit, make it feel like it's not heaven, then honestly, this world's not doing its job. Satan is not doing his job. The prince and the power of the air is not doing his job. Why? Because this isn't your home. And if you're not yearning every day, and if you're not praying every day for the coming Messiah, and if you're not saying, Lord, I can't wait for heaven. I'm, I'm so comfortable here that I don't really need heaven. If you ever have that attitude, the world's not doing its job. The world should be a reminder to you That this isn't home. This isn't forever. This isn't heaven. And so when sorrow comes, instead of being surprised, we should say, ah, there you are. I needed a reminder today that I'm supposed to pursue Jesus in heaven. I I needed to be reminded that eternity is my home and not here. But instead, we want this to be heaven. We want it to be easy. We We don't want to give very much to make it happen. And as a result, we create an idol out of safety and security. The question is not if you will go through sorrow, but how. How will I go through times of sorrow? Verse 23, in in that day, Jesus says, in that day, you'll ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, meaning the day when when things are, are worked out and good. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So he's like, look, you're about, sorrow's about to come. I'm about to go. I want to prepare you. So it's not whether or not you're going to have sorrow, Tolly Will, because you will have sorrow. But in that sorrow, let me prepare you with a few things. And what does he tell his disciples? He says, guys, um, you haven't had to pray that I would do something for you. I, I've just been here. Like, I've just been with you. I've just been walking with you. So I just do stuff. You ever have that, like when you're, you ever have that moment when you were um, uh, leaving the house for the first time? And you're just like, wow. When you're a kid, you're just like, wow. My laundry just doesn't get miraculously done. It's weird. You know? The, di- the dishes, the dishes, <laughs> gas money? I got to pay for my own gas? Like all this stuff happens, and we're just like, wow. 
And Jesus is like, listen, you haven't had to ask and pray to me. You, you haven't asked me because I'm just here. I've just been doing stuff. But there's going to be a day when you're going to have to cry out to me. There's going to be a day when you're going to have to talk with me. There's going to be a day when you're going to have to ask me to move heaven and earth for you. Don't let that break you because you have to pray. In fact, when you pray, your joy will be made complete. When you pray, you'll be more dependent on me. When you pray, we're going to talk. We're going to have a conversation. When you pray, your joy is going to be full. And so what does he say? Go through days of sorrow with prayer. Go through days of sorrow with prayer. We have access to the creator of, your very, of our very being, and he sits ready to answer us. You say, what about prayer? I don't know about prayer. Listen, here's the truth, the facts. that you, man, Kids say, facts, facts, facts. And by the way, if you're a little older, if they say cap, they're not talking about their baseball cap. They're saying you're lying. So if you're, they're like, you're a liar. So, so if they're like cap. Or if they're trying to tell the truth, they'll say no cap. Because I guess you got to tell people when you're not lying. Like blah, 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 no cap. And it's like, what does that mean when you don't say no cap? Cap? So your prayer life, listen. Your prayer life matters. Listen, your prayer life matters as much as our belief that God matters. Your prayer life matters as much as your belief in God matters. That's why, listen, why don't I pray as often as I do? Well, maybe my faith needs some makeover. Why? Because my prayer life should matter as much as my belief in God matters. If I believe that God is who he says he is and he built this whole world by speaking into existence, if I believe that stuff, if I believe that he raised Jesus from the dead, if I believe that he parted a sea, if I believe that he brought back the dead back to life, if I believe that he healed the eyes, if I believe that he healed the legs and the body, if I believe all this stuff that I'm reading, then prayer is the first thing, not the last thing. Prayer is the first reaction to sorrow. When, when something goes the, not the way that I want it, I need to say, hey God, this doesn't look like heaven. And I want a little bit more heaven here on earth. Would you change things? Would you move things? And his answer is yes, no, or maybe. You got to wait. But either way, I go to him and I say, hey, Lord, I'm not losing my faith over this. Why? Because sorrow is not my, my number one enemy. Safety and security is not my number one idol. I know. Eyes wide open. I'm going to go through some sorrow. And in my, my deep down faith and confidence in Jesus, it never changes. It's easy to say when things are going good. You have faith in Jesus? Oh, yeah, I have faith in Jesus. Go ahead and let something bad happen to you. Go ahead and let somebody get sick. Worse off, let somebody in your family pass away. Then we're going to find out. Because it's so easy to say everything's good when everything's good. But our faith is, how is it when things are not going so good? Jesus reminds in verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I'll tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. Let me remind that. For the Father himself loves you. For the Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. You go through sorrow not only by prayer, but you go through sorrow knowing you're loved by Jesus. Know that you're loved by God. Know it. Like right now, you, you, this is the thing is that you need to write down, like, okay, rules for going through sorrow. Because I'm going to go through sorrow. Number one, prayer. 
Number two, remember I'm loved by God. You say, well, that's so basic and so elementary. No, it's not. It's fundamental. It's foundational. Why? Because when the sorrow hits me sideways, I need to be reminded in that moment that I'm loved by God. Because I don't feel loved by God. You know what I'm saying? Somebody gets sick, a test come back, somebody passes away, tragic car, car accident. I don't feel loved by God in that moment. So what I need is not only prayer, like, Jesus, this is what I'm going through. I'm going through sorrow. Number two, I, I need to be reminded I, I'm loved by God. And so Jesus is telling him, the disciples, he said, look, I'm going to leave. You need to pray. I'm going to leave. Remember, you're loved by the Father. If God, God loves you, God knows you. If God knows you and loves you, his plans are ultimately for you. So while you do have sorrow in this earth, the ultimate peace with him is available. And that gets us to verse 29. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and you're not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and don't need, anyone needs to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. I'm sure Jesus was comforted that they finally gave reasons for their belief. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? <laughs> I would be such a bad Jesus. <laughs> I would be a terrible Jesus. My sarcasm would never stop. I'd be like, oh, I'd go through a list. Like, he doesn't go through a list here. But behind that, do you now believe? It's like, oh, didn't realize. Raised them from the dead. <laughs> didn't believe, right? Like, <laughs> healing. <laughs> didn't believe. Tw 12 years, bleeding. Boop. Didn't believe. Oh, now you do? Oh, okay, good, good. Like, I'd be a terrible Jesus. He's so much more graceful than me. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? <laughs> and I'm... Uh, all of that was behind it, I promise. <laughs> Behold, the hour is coming indeed, and it's come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. He's like, yeah, you believe good, because something bad's about to come. Each scattered to his own home, and you'll leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you will have what? Peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart. This is, the, this is the verse. See, again, another verse we're bumping into, completely out of context, coffee cup Christianity. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And it makes so much more sense in light of everything else. Because take heart, I have overcome the world, doesn't mean uh, you don't need to pray. Doesn't mean you don't need to rely on your theology that, that God loves you. Doesn't mean that you, you um, don't have peace that comes from you. You can great invent your own peace. No, no, no. Take heart, I have overcome the world means all those things. But when we just read it by itself, we're just like, oh, going through a hard time, it'll be okay. Great. No. Your dependency, your reliance, your resilience in Jesus is what brings you to the place to where you can have peace going through your sorrow. Because it's in the midst of all of that that you can say, God's got this. Go through sorrow with the peace of God. Go through sorrow with the peace of God. C.S. Lewis wrote, Hardship often prepares an ordinary person for an extraordinary destiny. Hardship often prepares an ordinary person for an extraordinary destiny. In the moment when you're going through your sorrow, in the moment when you're going through your pain, you don't realize that God is using that refining process for something he might want to do in your life 20 years from now. And if you or I got a chance to treat faith as an elective, we would usually skip the class. 
Because I don't really need faith built when I'm sitting on the beach and enjoying the waves, which I love to do. I, I don't need faith in those moments because everything is as, as it should in my eyes. I need faith in the moments when things are not working out, when my plans are not working, they're crashed to the ground, and it looks like God just laughs at my plans. That's when I need faith that he's got a bigger plan than I do. Hardship is often preparing an ordinary person for extraordinary destiny. Church, you're going to hear over and over and over in the next month all the reasons that a politician's going to make your life more safe, more secure. And you've got to decide, am I going to create an idol out of safety and security? You have to decide, am I going to allow myself to be controlled and moved and swayed simply by somebody promising me an easier life? Forget the politicians. In a month and a half from now, you're going to have that at work. You're going to have that in education. You're going to have that in your family life. This opportunity, well, if you just do what I want, you'll be safer. You'll just do what I want, you'll be more secure. If you just put more and more away and don't give to missionaries, if you just put more and more away and don't give to these kids in the city or in Africa, if you just put more and more and stock more and more away, why do we do it? We do it because we want to be safe. We want security. We, we want less financial risk and more financial investment. We want benefits and blessings to ourselves. And if, we're, if we do that too much, we buy into greed and we've made an idol out of safety and security. And God goes, no, there's so much to be given to you in the middle of things when they're not working out. You will experience sorrow, but guess what? You will also experience joy. Go through your days of sorrow with prayer, love, and peace. Go through your days of sorrow that are to come. They're gonna come. I'm not gonna lie to you. I love you too much to lie to you. You're gonna have sorrowful days. And there'll be a day you shoot me an email, a text, or a phone call, and you're gonna say, Pastor, this just happened. And I wanna encourage you to go through those days. Go through those days with prayer, remembering that you're loved, and leaning on the peace of God, that he's got something greater. He loves me, he cares for me, and he'll make all this work out. Yes, even this, for my good. Let's pray. Father, we don't want to have idols. And it's easy to look in the Bible and see the prophets of Baal and we could see all of these other foreign gods and foreign worships, and it's so easy to just say, well, that's what idolatry is. It's when we're worshiping other things. But God, the reality is we, we can't see the idols underneath of our own eyes. I pray, God, that we would develop a deeper faith, a faith that understands that the idol of safety and security is exactly that. It's an idol. And while we should be disciplined and while we should do common sense things in our lives to, to get by and to, to not put ourselves at unnecessary risk, we should value the life you've given us. There is a point, Lord, where we lean so much into that that we start to be manipulated and moved by safety and security. We believe somehow that we could avoid all sorrow on this earth. But God, that would make it heaven, and this is not heaven. We will go through sorrow. We will go through brokenness. So it's how do we do it. And Father, I pray, God, that we would do it in prayer. I pray, Father, we would do it knowing that we're loved. And I pray, Father, we would lean and depend on your peace. The peace that has to come from somewhere else because in the middle of the sorrow, it doesn't feel good. Help us to become professionals in walking through sorrow. Father, help us to, to become great Christians in how our faith turns up in the middle when life turns down. Help us, God, to rely on you and trust in you and walk out the other side of the fire 
with a smile on our face and joy in our hearts. Help us to have that joy at the end of the day that Jesus said his disciples would have after his death. Help us to have that joy that know that our eternal home is in heaven. And it's with that in mind that we can walk through the fire of earth. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Can we thank God for his word?